Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe and fun place to get real and learn about sex. Whether you're a man or woman, single or couple, this is the show for you. I am your host, Kevin Anthony, and I am here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and your relationships. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 276, and it is titled How to Create Personal and Collective Transformation with Sex. This is going to be a really fascinating conversation. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can already see I have a guest with me today who I will introduce in just a moment. But, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for uh, a fairly good length of time, especially when Celine and I were doing it together, you would have heard at least a few times that our goal through the work that we do was to create transformation. And not just transformation in somebody's sex life. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But transformation throughout their entire lives. And then that goes out into the collective as well. And so that's always been a goal of the work that we uh, have been doing. And that is also a goal uh, with or for my guests. So I'm really actually excited to talk about this because it's an angle that not that many people really talk about, you know, they'll talk about fixing your sex life and having better sex and, you know, having a better relationship, but they rarely talk about the real transformation that can occur through this work. And, uh, our, you know, my guest has actually quite the personal story of transformation as well. And so that's going to be really fascinating to talk about. Okay. Before we get there though, a short word from my sponsor, Power and Mastery 3.0 is here. The men's sexual mastery program you have heard about on this show for a long time is now even better. I have personally reviewed every module, lesson, video, audio, and PDF to see if there is anything new that needed to be added. As a result, I have added 10 new videos, one new audio, eight new PDFs, and dozens of links to handpicked products to help support your journey to mastery. In addition, there's also a brand new user interface that makes it easier to navigate the course and find your course materials. So if you are ready to become the sexual master you have always wanted to be, then go now to powerandmastery.com. You know, I've released the 3.0 version of that a few months back, and since then, uh, sales and feedback have been even better than they were before, and they were always great. So I just want to thank everybody uh, who's listening who has already uh, gotten into that program. And if you haven't yet and you're thinking about it, please go check it out at powerandmastery.com. Okay, so today's guest is Yuval Mann, and he is an ex-Orthodox Jew turned erotic intelligence mentor. He dances, travels, writes, and shows people how to use their sex to transform their lives. Okay, first of all, please let me know if I pronounced your name correctly, because I forgot to ask you about that before we started the show. Yes, um, it's Yuval, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. (laughs) Well, thanks for being here. You have a very interesting story. So you have, all right, I kind of preface this by mentioning that you uh, were in the Orthodox Jewish faith. But before that, your family was not Orthodox Jewish. And so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your childhood and and sort of the journey that your parents uh, went through and that kind of leads into your journey from there. Yeah, um, I grew up in Israel, 
Um, I imagine that always, but especially these days, that carries a certain weight. <laughs> um, just as a side note, I'm about to issue an essay talking about my experience growing up in Israel, watching the happenings um, through being in the IDF for quite some time and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's just something that I want to put out there. I grew up in Israel and my mom came from a very orthodox family. My father came from a very leftist kind of almost communist family. Um, my father's grandfather was actually um, excelled, uh, exiled, sorry, from Israel by the British because he was too communist. Just funny side notes of roots. Um, I grew up in a family that was very secular, very hippie, kind of psychedelic parents um, doing pranayama in the morning, meditation, that kind of stuff. And somewhere around the time when I was 10, my parents became, or rather we all, like me and my parents, started going to the direction of more kind of reconnecting with our Jewish roots which was a slow process, but um, pretty consistent and eventually led up to us becoming fully orthodox, joining, like my parents sent me to uh, boys only um, Haredi Jewish institutes of Ashkenazi Jews um, in different places around Israel. And I spent my years from 10 to about 17, 18 um, in such institutes. After that, I went to the army, which is mandatory in Israel, um, unfortunately. And <laughs> then after that kind of slowly started the process of uh, leaving the faith or at least the orthodox part of the faith. Yeah. Okay, great. That That's fantastic. And I wanted people to hear that because a lot of times when we think about, you know, people making big transitions, what we often hear about is... They were in a more traditional religion, regardless of which one it was. And then they often kind of move away from that and go towards, you know, more of the new age spirituality. And what I think is very interesting about your story is that your parents started off more in that, you know, what we would sort of call new age spirituality, you know, doing pranayama in the morning and being a bit more on the hippie psychedelic side, but then transitioned over to a more traditional religion. But then that's not the end of the story because then you made a transition from there as well. Before we get to your transition though, I'm curious if you could uh, describe how, so because you transitioned about when you were 10 years old. So at 10, you're not quite uh, in your sexuality yet, but it's, it seems like those formative years where you are starting to uh, come into your sexuality, you're going through puberty, you're learning about sex, were during the time that you were very deeply involved in uh, the Orthodox Jewish religion. So I'm wondering how that affected your sexuality as you were growing up. Yeah, in, in many ways. I think uh, maybe a good place to start is telling you an, one anecdote um, from when I was going through puberty uh, that I think can kind of encapsulate how it's like sexuality-wise growing up in, in such orthodox communities. So first of all, as I mentioned, it's boys only. So basically, since I left, I grew up in like a Waldorf school, which is like democratic school up to the age of 10. So it's like not just a regular school, it's like 
the most secular that you can imagine. It's basically a school that you don't have teachers. You, every student chooses their curriculum. And I was spending my time painting, reading books in the library and spending time with the um, older kids uh, doing all kinds of pottery and carpentry and all kinds of stuff. Then I had uh, girlfriends, um, but then it was cut pretty dramatically when I was moved from this super liberal kind of existence to boys only, only studying the Bible um, all day, every day. And there is no discussion about anything other than the faith um, so on and so forth. As you can imagine, probably some of the listeners from other types of conservative backgrounds. So when I was about maybe 13, 14, 15, going through puberty, obviously the hormones are going wild and there is absolutely no background of no, no context, no resources, no. And I think this is something actually a lot of people can resonate with whether they are from um, a conservative background or not. There is just not enough good sex education out there to go around. But at least people go out there and have experiences. So they meet people their age, they, they, they have the experience of coming out as a sexual being and finding this, discovering this attraction to the other sex and feeling whatever the feelings that come. I had none of that. Um, naturally, as it goes with the human body, if you don't masturbate, which was something that was highly forbidden, and I don't even think that I knew what it is. I don't even, I don't think that I even knew that it's possible, right? Um, if you don't do that, it comes out naturally. When you dream, we have wet dreams, it comes out, out in the night and so on and so forth. And I remember quite a few times that that happened to me. I would wake up from erotic dreams and just the moment before waking up, I had this uh, orgasmic experience really that I was waking up in an orgasmic experience and obviously um, wetting my, my bed and feeling, I remember distinctly, I don't remember a lot of things from that period, but I remember this very vividly. I remember how guilty and how fearful I felt from, first of all, I didn't know what's going on, what's wrong with me. Second of all, some, something felt wrong. Like I did something wrong, like what God would have done to me and so on and so forth. And I would run to the mikveh, which is an Israel, a Jewish uh, bathhouse that you go to purify yourself in, um, to go there and take a bath and yeah, pray for forgiveness. So I kind of like to give you an idea of what kind of um, sexuality I was faced with growing up at the formative years. Yeah. So basically no sex education and <laughs> a ton of guilt for experiencing things that were actually just natural, normal parts of going through puberty and becoming a man. So yeah, that's, that's very interesting. So let's kind of take it to the next step then. So that's where you were when you were younger. How long did you stay in this faith? And, you know, because, all right, so puberty time, you know, 13 years old, 14, 15, 16. Okay, but what about, you know, 17, 18, 19, those years where you should be dating and exploring and, you know, learning more about sex and all that? Like, how, what were those years like? So there was none of that. Um, around the age of 16, 17, I think, I kind of had um, some kind of a break with the kind of extreme orthodox 
a yeshiva, which is um, kind of like a high school institute that I was in. And I decided in the spare of a moment to grab my bag and hitchhike to the north of Israel. I didn't really have a plan, but I was kind of like, I don't want to be here. Let's see where, um, where the road will take me. Something that became a theme in my life in general. And I arrived to Tzfat, which is an old city, um, very kind of um, esoteric, um, mystical city almost, at the hills uh, in the north of Israel. And I was walking around there, and suddenly I heard singing, a very beautiful singing, and it really touched my heart. And I entered this place, and I saw that there was another yeshiva, but not really as orthodox as the kind of stuff that I was in. So this is the kind of people in Israel that are more, that go to the army and kind of like are more um, uh, kind of nation, uh, have like some nationality and uh, kind of pride and things of that nature. And, but still pretty religious, so still boys only. Um, and so this is where, and, and I decided in the spur of like decision of a moment, like this is where I want to be. Like they, they were more Hasidic, more kind of like mystical, and I was like, I want to be in a place where people are singing and like connecting with God and, and spirituality from like a place of love and, and celebration, not from a place of suppression and kind of like um, strictness, which, which is what I felt um, until then. I spent there another year, a year and a half before I went to the army. And when I was there, so this is like 17, 18, there was the equivalent of the kind of yeshiva that I was in, but for girls. And sometimes we would see them like pass by our, um, where our rooms were. And I remember just looking kind of like feeling aroused, but feeling also very kind of um, like guilty about it. Um, again, this is something that is very, um, basically the path is like you finish yeshiva, you go on like one or two um, dates. Oftentimes those dates are kind of organized by uh, mutual friends that are already married or by your rabbis and then you go on a few dates you decide if you're going to get married and you're not having sex before marriage so kind of strict um never had any of these interactions with any girls i went to the army still a virgin and i was there from the age of nine like eight um, 18 and a half to almost 22 and my first girlfriend i met her when i was in an outpost in the West Bank. And she was also living in one of the villages there. And we met while I was serving there. And that was the first time that I had sex with anybody. And what that was when I was 21. <laughs> All right. So we have a pretty good idea of your background up to this point. And, you know, the topic of this episode is really creating transformation. So I, I really wanted to give the audience a background so that they could understand the magnitude of the transformation that has occurred here. Um, so now that we are at that point, you have sex for the first time. What did that do for you? Did it, did it suddenly open up, uh, you know, a, a huge, you know, door to a whole nother world? Or was it just kind of like, eh, I don't know, was it more of a slow transformation? Or did it just blow the doors open? What effect did it have? And then follow up that with how did this sort of spark you on this path that you're now on? So it absolutely blew my mind. I think that I 
both of us were each other's first. Um, and somehow, I feel like a lot of people have pretty questionable, if not bad, kind of first sexual experiences, ranging from really bad to like just awkward and, and strange. I feel very lucky um, for both of us. It was incredibly monumental. Both of us somehow were very, very hungry for it, very lustful for it. Also kind of just brought all of the suppression and the years of horniness and kind of like desire into each other. And we were naturally very explorative, very kinky, very like, we didn't know anything about like sexuality, sexual literature, sexual health, like anything, especially not uh, about kinks, but somehow we were like very, very kind of intuitive about it. And it was phenomenal. We couldn't get ourselves off of each other. So that was a very, very good start. And I remember those first few times I was like, whoa, this is such a powerful, almost spiritual experience. I love it. I want more of it. And I want to deeper my understanding of it. And that was, I think, really the start um, in some ways of a very long journey of exploration of human sexuality. Um, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, you are right that you are you are lucky that your first experience turned out to be really a wonderful, magical one because a lot of people do have not such good first time stories. Uh, but one of the things that I think is quite a bit different in your story is, and this might have to do with you know the repression of sexuality throughout your you know early formative years. But a lot of people, like, let's just say here in the U.S., a lot of people have sex when they're younger, you know, maybe 15, 16, 17-ish, they start becoming sexual. And while they are interested in that, uh, and that is something that is kind of a new world for them, I, it doesn't always have that, like, wow, blow the doors open, holy cow, this is so different. Um, and in your case, that that's what happened. Like, this was just totally uh, life-changing for you in that moment and set you on a different path. So uh, I think that's pretty amazing. And I think that that's the power that sexuality and sexual energy can have. Now, what's interesting is, is then how do you choose to channel that energy, right? So here you are now, you've had this experience, it blows the doors open and you're like, wow, I want to learn more about this. At what point, so like, where does the path go from there? Because you mentioned a few things like you didn't know anything about kink, right? And so obviously I know a little bit about uh, you and I know that kink is a part of, you know, where you've been. Like, how does that, how does that path go? So doors are blown open. You're interested in exploring more. You're like, I want to know more of what's happening here. Like what happens next? So it took a long time, relatively speaking, until I actually started um, teaching anything at all. Um, I was in the army for a little bit longer. We eventually broke up for um, many different reasons. And I finally finished my three obligatory years in the Israeli army. And I felt generally really viscerally choked by the culture in Israel, by the um, actions and the continuous 
violence that um, the state of Israel is inciting against its neighbors and against its own Palestinian um, uh, you know, citizens and, and beings. And after serving in the army and in the West Bank and seeing things firsthand and being exposed to a lot of violence, like I, I had this like really a lot of continuous epiphanies of, of what I, the story that I was sold and what was actually going on. And this collective intensity and trauma combined with the kind of suppression that I personally experienced in my own life in this very close-knit community of religious extremism, I, I felt really shocked and I had to... I had to go, you know, and also, I don't know if anybody who is listening who've been in the military and not paid for it, like rather like obligatory military, you're basically counting the days and it's three long years, probably the longest years of my entire life. I was suffering physically and mentally. I was really suffering. I entered the army a pacifist. Um, so you can imagine how <laughs> your commanders really don't like that kind of uh, mentality. I was always kind of like a rebel, trying to do the minimum that I could, questioning everything. Um, so I did a lot of kitchen um, kind of uh, work and a lot of really, a lot of suffering, basically. And so when I finally, finally was done, I remember feeling such tremendous liberation, I, they cut my, my, my army ID and literally I went out, I smoked a massive spliff in the sun. I felt so liberated and so free. And I, on the spot, like used my phone and bought my first plane ticket outside of Israel. Mind you, I've never been outside of Israel before that. Went to my first trip and came back only after like two and a half years of roaming around, doing a bunch of wild stuff, seeing Europe, living in a cave in the Canary Islands for quite some time finally getting some experiences, having relationships, getting out of relationships. And I think that was kind of like the first pulse that I was like, okay, my life is, I want to travel the world. I want to try everything out. I want to go to music festivals. I want to try psychedelics, different spiritual modalities. I want to explore human sexuality on all of its flavors. And that's going to be my life for now. And so the following pro pretty much a decade, I, um, I did just that. <laughs> um, on the sexuality aspect, it was a combination of just simply everywhere that I went. I was kind of like deliberately exploring the sex positive scene, the kink scene, the fetish scene, going to sex clubs, later on facilitating some events of myself. Um, I read a lot of literature. I explored just direct um, experiences myself with relational dynamics of all kinds. Um, in some different par parts of my life, I had different mentors and teachers, especially when I got into um, Japanese erotic bondage. And yeah, that was kind of like the decade that came around traveling, psychedelics and sexual exploration. Yeah. All right. So you've had all these experiences. You've spent a decade trying out all of these things. Obviously, this had a big impact on your sexuality. But I'm also curious, what impact did it have on you as a person, right? Because we're, we're talking about using, you know, sex as a way of creating transformation. After that 10 years of, you know, traveling and experiencing and trying all these different things, how would you compare who you were after those 10 years to who you were prior to those 10 years? I mean, I think I was always the same person at the core. 
Um, it's just the perspectives, the wisdom, the amount of experience that is changing. Like I'm looking back at every part of my life that I can remember. And I feel like at the core, I was the same person with the same kind of mannerism and likes and dislikes and kind of qualities. And I feel like over the years, what is changing is not who I am at the core, but rather like really my perspectives, my views, the, the kind of the way that I carry myself through life, the physical and emotional and spiritual posture that I, that I get. And I think those, this decade has really changed me on those levels in, in all kinds of, in all kinds of ways. Yeah. I think that's an interesting distinction that you made about the sort of core of who you are has always been the same. And I think that's true for most of us. You know, our, our core of who we really are stays the same. Yet, if we allow it, there's so many influences in society that can take us on different paths where maybe we aren't as true to our core as we should be. And sometimes it takes exploration and travel and exploring sexuality to come back to you know, who we really are at our core. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, that's just a fascinating and amazing story. So now that we know your background and how you came to where you are, what I really want to get into next is, you know, how we, like, you're teaching sexuality. I want to know, you know, what types of things you're teaching people and what kind of impact is that having? How is that helping them create personal transformation? So I have a bunch of questions around, around that topic. But before we get there, I do want to pause briefly for uh, our second sponsor. And then I want to dive into the actual work that you're doing with people now. Okay. Hey guys, do you know what makes a man great? You know, the kind of masculine man that women are irresistibly attracted to and want. Is it money, job title, his physical body, being great in bed, a big penis or great pickup lines? But what if you don't have those or only some of them? What if you've had a string of failed relationships, are embarrassed by your bedroom skills, doubt whether you can rise to the occasion, worry about lasting long enough, or are always stuck in the friend zone? Then I can help you. If you're ready to make big changes and finally become the man you've always wanted to be, then this is the program for you. To find out more, please go to kevinanseline.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. The link is in the description. That is, of course, a link to my men's coaching program. That's where I help you step into being your authentic self and being the best man that you can be and showing up the best way that you possibly can in your relationships, in your sex life, and in life in general. So go check that out, kevinandseline.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. Okay. So that was obviously an ad for some of the work that I do, but I want to know a little bit more about the work that you are currently doing. So maybe we could start out by just explaining to the audience, what is it that you are currently doing in your work? I feel like the attitude of what it is that I'm actually doing is something that is constantly in flux. I always saw myself and still am seeing myself as an artist more than anything else. Um, I feel like when different artists have different inclinations, some people devote their entire life to perfect music or to explore and um, working with different materials. For me, it's the erotics. Um, 
it's sexuality, sexual energy, sensuality, pleasure. The particular things that are most alive in me and which I tend to share on my platforms and walk with people around in my, uh, through my work and my programs is really changing all the time. I feel like at the moment, um, I'm really, really deeply kind of excited um, to, and this is really my, my living experience, what is really the most kind of burning in me to share is the exploration of how everything is inherently interconnected through the lens of the erotics. So really looking at reality, at our place in the world, at the way that we experience what it is to be human and to be the universe experiencing itself through a lens of a more ecological perspective that sees the person, their range of experiences, their um, emotions and feelings, their place in society, and then also their, their collective um, kind of movements as a biodiversity in an ecology of aliveness. And I like to call it an erotic aliveness. Um, there is a wonderful work by um, Andreas Weber, he's a philosopher who lives here in Berlin, wrote a book called Matter and Desire. He speaks beautifully in those kind of terms. Um, and erotic ecology is basically this notion that reality is not, no matter how deep you look at any direction or any particular thing, nothing has a center in which it's separated from everything else. Everything is inherently connected and it's a biodiversity that is of mutually transformative relationships. The erotics come um, in the sense that everything is constantly longing to vulnerably connect with other elements in order to produce new life. Whether you're looking at on the um, microbial perspective, on the physics and particle perspective, on the human level perspective, on any perspective you can think about. Everything is always longing. So an ecology of erotic aliveness. And I feel like in my work, I'm really enjoying kind of traveling the space between talking about these kind of rather poetic um, notions and also bringing it down to very practical ways of how this perspective influence the way that we see ourselves, the way that we experience ourselves in relationships, the way that we carry ourselves in our work, the way that we fuck, um, and so on and so forth, the way that we live our life. And this is really where the center of my work is right now, I feel. The art in it is really how to translate these palpable, direct experiences that I'm having in the web of erotic aliveness into actionable, practical stuff that can really be useful for people in their life and in the problems that they come to me with, which a lot of times it's relational, sexual, intimacy, um, challenges of all kinds. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, could you give maybe an example of you know, like it's one of those issues that uh, a client would come to you with and how you do what you do to help them with that challenge. So for example, um, let's focus on men for a moment. I, I noticed that in your ad that you're also focusing a lot on men. So let's speak to probably a lot of the people who are listening. Men experience uh, premature ejaculation, as it's called. I don't like this particular um, kind of clinical uh, kind of title, but you know, anyway, coming before you want to come, right? A lot of men face that kind of challenge. 
they go around the internet, they can find all kinds of information around uh, semen retention and NoFap and uh, Kegel exercises. And num- uh, on the worst side is like numbing creams and thinking about your dead grandma in order to <laughs> avoid ejaculation. For me, before we even get into a deeper understanding of the nervous system, parasympathetic, sympathetic, how they are connected to ejaculation, before we even get to all of that and breathing and like softening the muscles and all kinds of stuff that we definitely get to, for me, a lot more important and in my experience working with a lot of men that eventually gained, gained full ejaculation control, a lot more potent is to first start by exploring what is sex for you? How are you experiencing yourself in the world? Like, where, what are you? Who are you? You know, and starting from there. And I feel like this kind of identity expansion is really affecting the way that they start carrying themselves sexually. Suddenly, it's less about trying to perform from somebody, which is where the kind of clinical name premature ejaculation, as if it's some kind of a clinical, clinical issue, come from. And they start experiencing themselves as this beautiful, playful expression of aliveness that the evolution process is unfolding. So they start realizing that the reason why they prematurely ejaculate is by no fault of their own. It's mostly because there is a 50,000 or 100,000 years of evolutionary process that optimizes for men who ejaculate as quickly as possible for the father of the species, you know. They start realizing that the connection between their activation of the sympathetic nervous system which is in charge on stress and creates tension in their body and therefore creates um, the ejaculatory response so what happens when they kind of relax into the moment they soften their muscles they soften their pelvis which is the reason why i'm so uh, such a, a big critique for all the pelvic um, contraction stuff all the like kegel exercises because what you need is really to soften everything And then what happens when you start receiving your partner in that softness, when you start becoming more connected with your pleasure, and that is just like a way to get to some kind of goal of ejaculatory something, but rather like a full body experience of pleasure that is healing, that is like a prayer, that is like a way to connect with the ecology that you emerged from. So a lot of these themes I feel serve in great ways to expand their sense of identity, how they experience and therefore how they carry themselves sexually, which in my experience is a lot more effective sometimes from any kind of exercise or technique that you can do. And once that is being expanded, then we can get into breathing and we can get into more practical stuff that someone can do. So that's just one anecdote, one kind of idea that I can give you of what I mean by this opening up to the erotic aliveness, the ecology of erotic aliveness. Yeah, and I I love, so what you're doing is you're not just addressing, oh, here's an exercise, here's a pill, here's a cream, here's like so many people out there do. And you're actually taking into account the entire person and basically changing them as a person in order for them to meet their goals. And that's really, that's, that's where the work is. And, you know, anytime I have a, you know, strategy call with a new potential client, you know, I have to be 100% honest with them and say, look, this is 
life-changing, transformative work, and it's, it's going to challenge you. If you're here for a quick fix, you're not in the right place, right? Because there really are no quick fixes. We need to address the person as a whole. And that, that really is what I hear that, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I hear when you're talking about addressing who they are as a whole, starting right in the beginning. Like, what does sex mean for you? How do you experience sex? Rather than just going, okay, do these exercises over here and it'll all be fixed, right? Yes, and... Exploring who they are as a whole, but exploring who they are as something without a center that is in, intimately connected to everything around them. So if I give them breathing exercises, we're not just giving a breathing exercise. We are talking about the breath, how the breath is the first and the last thing that we do in this life. How we breathe in aliveness, we breathe out like softness, how the breath is the most immediate bridge that you can connect with to the ecology that you emerged from because everything breathes, right? And if we talk about premature ejaculation, we talk about sex, let's say. So we talk about what is sex, right? Like sex is not just something that you do, it's what you are, right? Like sex is the very act, the, the dance of evolutionary unfolding that everything became through, right? Like this is what aliveness is. And so we're kind of like using their momentary human experiences, their unique kind of challenges and issues and points of tension and kinks to explore their place in the cosmos, their place in the biodiversity of reality. And it's not just with premature ejaculation, it's with everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I loved the way you said that, which is sex isn't just something that you do, it's who you are. And that's absolutely right. It's who we are. It's a fundamental piece of who we are. Uh, and I like also, you know, sort of bringing it out to the whole, you know, the way I often describe it to people, which is maybe a little bit less mystical and a little bit more practical, uh, not that one is any better than the other, but, you know, I often just tell people, look, if you are, you know, suffering from, you know, any sort of sexual dysfunction or you're in uh, an unhealthy relationship that's not working for you, the negative energy produced there is going to affect things outside of your life. So you'll start to see that when your relationship isn't working at home, you start having relationship troubles outside of the home because, you know, you're angry about whatever's happening at home. You go to work and you start, you know, snapping at your coworkers as well. Um, so this idea that when we address these things, and you use the example of premature ejaculation, yes, you are addressing them for yourself, but you are potentially also affecting the whole as you mm -hmm. transform personally. You know, and that's, yeah. I, I love talking about geopolitics. This is not the show for that. So when you started to bring in a little bit about what's happening, I'm personally very curious about it, but... I know that that's not why the listeners are, are tuning into this episode. Um, but, you know, w like when people are upset about what's happening in the world, now, granted, there are things that need to be done. But one of the things that I always tell them is the transformation starts from within. Right? The reason why we have so many problems in the world is because people in, on an individual level haven't done their, their inner work. And if they had done that inner work, right? So just to take the example of, you know, say, being in the military, if everybody was, that was in the military had done their personal work, would they all be in the military doing what they're told? 
Probably not, right? So that's how the individual transformation can affect the trans, you know, can transform the the greater consciousness of the world. And so, I, I love that that is one of the uh, things that you are trying to accomplish through your work. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was because it's something that's sort of near and dear to me, which is that we need to do our personal inner work, and then we need to take that work and help transform the greater you know, consciousness with it. And, yeah. and it, I think that's very similar to what you do, although I'm, I'm guessing we probably accomplish that in different ways, and there's many different ways to do it. Um, but I just, I, that's the message that I really wanted to bring to people uh, today. Yeah, and I love that you brought the geopolitical part um, in again, because everything is connected, right? Like when I'm talking about love and sexuality, I'm also talking about decolonizing our hearts, decolonizing our sex, decolonizing, um, you know, love in so many ways, you know, um, we, none of us got the sex education that we needed and everything has roots in the way in which, you know, our sex um, is deeply colonized and influenced by religious dogma, by, you know, years of um, erasion of a lot of rich cultures of human, um, of human culture, human experience, indigenous traditions. Um, and so when we're talking about these things, we're talking about the same stuff, right? I feel like when I'm working with people around their sexuality in using their sex to expand their identity, to stop perceiving themselves as individual center, as part of a family or, uh, or a tribe or a nationality, but rather as an aspect of a human uh, vibration, an aspect of a human collective, and then also an aspect of a whole alive cosmos, a whole ecosystem of, of aliveness. And I think that expansion of identity um, is at the very core of every act activism that is being done also on the geopolitical um, kind of sphere. So, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine what kind of a world we would live in if everybody saw it from that perspective? Rather than, like you said, the, the, I'm in this group, you're in that group. Imagine if everybody, and there's nothing wrong with group identities as long as you understand that there's a larger group, which could be the whole world, could be the whole cosmos, as you said. Yeah, I can definitely uh, imagine that. I am. <laughs> I <can really laughs> all right, good. <laughs> Let's all keep imagining that. And maybe someday we'll actually live in it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're we're getting somewhat close to the end of the show. Uh, I'm curious. So, this is the work that you're doing. Obviously, you're here because you want to be able to share that work with people. So, um, if you could, in the last few minutes that we have on the show, you know, like what is the main message, the 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 or the last thing that you really want the listeners to know about? you and the work that you're doing? What is coming for me intuitively is that there is really nothing special about me. And I really think that nobody should believe what I'm saying and taking it at face value. I feel like my entire work, my entire perspective is exploring things from a fresh in a fresh, unique language that anybody can relate to through their own direct, self-evident experience. Whether it's the, the advice that I'm giving about certain sexual topics or stuff that I'm talking about decolonization and geopolitics or any um, kind of 
philosophical or poetic or esoteric perspective that I'm bringing, anything of that sort, when I'm talking about sexuality, relationships, and any of these topics, I'm always trying to find, continuously trying to find new, fresh language that is not convoluted by existing kind of um, perspectives and beliefs and values and something that anybody can relate to, which I feel like is something that is really missing. If you go to explore right now how to improve your sexuality in relationships, there is either like the very clinical therapy talk um, perspective of, of advice, talking about uh, attachment styles and trauma and, uh, you know, um, feminine masculine polarity on the more spiritual side. And then on the other side of it, you have really the more like kind of new age and perspective, again, like feminine masculine energies and like all kinds of stuff that is, again, not very resonance for a lot of people and for a good reason. I'm trying to put my stuff in some kind of an artistic middle in which I think a lot about what I'm saying and make sure that it's sound from a scientific perspective, from you know what we know about the world so far in terms of research and sound mind. And at the same time that I am open to the mystery, open to the poetic, open to the erotic, because I feel like really this is where the magic is. The magic is in the poetic, in the erotic. Erotics is not sex. It's not the act of penetration and orgasm. Erotics is the poetic kind of in-between of all of it. It's the tension. It's the mystery unfolding. It's the really the, the, the songs and the dance that are being created by our connection, by our um, physical, emotional, spiritual interaction with each other. And so it's important to me to speak about these things in a fresh language, in language that anybody can resonate with and really take whatever experiences people bring to me, whatever questions they have as analogies to kind of bring light to the stuff that I'm experiencing in my heart very strongly. So yeah, um, right now I am, I'm, I'm always doing like one-on-one -on -one work with people, men and women. I have video courses, but something that I'm really, really excited about is kind of work with couples that I'm starting to kind of go more deep into. And I have a program for couples coming up and this is kind of like the direction that I'm taking, helping couples bring this sense of how to create a create a mutually empowering relationship that both provide love, connection, and safety and closeness, and at the same time keep the spark, the eroticism, the newness and the vanity and the freshness um, alive. Exploring that through movement, through kind of more poetic uh, perspectives, through all kinds of power dynamics and kinky exercises with each other as well. Um, yeah, so that's all very, very exciting right now. All right. Well, if people are interested in that, where can they find more about you and your work? So most of my stuff that is already established is on my website. The couple stuff, um, probably better go to any of my social media. Uh, TikTok is the best, I'm the most active there. And then you can see it in, you can apply to it in my link tree and all this kind of stuff. But my website is the main place. So, of course, those links will be in the description. But for people who are listening on the podcast, make sure that you tell them exactly what your website is and maybe what your social media is so that they can 
uh, get there without having to go back to the show notes? Uh, sure. It's uh, simply yuvalman.com. <laughs> Easy enough. The link is in the description, but uh, yeah, just uh, know that uh, it's yuvalman.com and you can find pretty much everything from that one place, right? Yeah. I would just say that uh, if someone from the listeners is in a committed relationship and they kind of feel that the sex became boring and they want to bring the spark back alive and they're interested in doing so in a very experimental um, fresh environment with a group of couples from all around the world and um, then the best is to really either write me an email and dm me on social media and inquire into that and then i'll send them the details because it's something that is still fresh and it's not on my website got it all right well hey thank you for coming on the show yuval thanks for sharing your personal story uh it is definitely a story of transformation you've you've i think you've lived a couple of lifetimes uh in this one <laughs> knowing that the places that you've been and how different they are most people don't get an opportunity to have that many very different experiences in their life um, i'm glad that you are taking all of that and choosing to use that experience to help the world and i hope that listeners got something from this episode. And if, if nothing else, you understood that you can use your sexuality and your relationships as a way not only to create personal transformation, but to create transformation in the world as well. So I hope that that message landed with people who are listening. Again, go check out uh, Yuval at uh, yuvalman.com if you are interested in working with him. And that's all that I have for this episode. So I will see you all next week. I hope you liked this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free exclusive content, join me in the Passion Vault at kevinandceline.com forward slash vault. That's kevinandceline.com forward slash fault. Thanks for listening. And remember, as Celine used to say, you're amazing.